the incredible true story of America's top underdog. We are the Spy Fi Guys, and this is Sergeant Stubby, an American hero. Hello and welcome back to the Spy Fi Guys, where we cover spy fact, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And today, we've also got some guests again. That's right. So, we have Carolyn, who's my <laughs> wife, and Sarah. Say hello. 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 Yeah, Carolyn, you should say hello, too, so that the audience can tell us apart. <laughs> <laughs> that, can, you, can you hear me? <laughs> yep, we hello. can hear you. Okay, Welcome aboard. Excellent. Glad to be here. So today we're talking about Sergeant Stubby, an American hero, the 2018 animated movie. And so we all discovered this movie at uh, a trivia game hosted by the Spy Museum. It was one of the trivia questions, which one of our other team members, I think he got the answer right. And we were like, wait, what is this? And then we looked it up and there was a movie based on it. So we were like, all right, we need to watch this. And when we do, we need to have everyone on. I believe that we hadn't heard of it before. I'm surprised, I must say, by how little spying was actually in the movie. There was maybe 15 seconds near the end, but otherwise it was mostly, I think, a World War I movie. That was their whole mission at the beginning, though, wasn't it? To go and well, spy? let's save that for when we get into it. We're jumping ahead. We're jumping ahead. <laughs> so here's the IMDb summary. The true story of a stray dog who joins his new master on the battlefields of the First World War. For his valorous actions, Sergeant Stubby is still recognized as the most decorated dog in American history. Yeah, so right off the bat when we get into this movie, we start in the trenches. And actually, I want to sort of backpedal a little bit. What's everyone's sort of knowledge base on World War I? It is Mordor. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Yeah, it is, it's too much to get into, but I would say it's not the subject of a PG movie. True. But what I meant was actually, what's everyone's back? Like, what did they know before this movie about World War I? A lot. Yeah. 1914 to 1918. Okay. War to end all wars. Like, my, so my main background on World War I is a lot from movies, really, but on from the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, mm -hmm. which he goes through, like, most of World War I and is, like, there for a lot of the pivotal battles. So seeing this, and I'll get into it later, there's a lot of vibes from that for me. Well, maybe I'll actually watch Young Indiana, John. You should. I, we, we, as, we, as we back in our, uh, what's that movie, the Irish one? Michael Collins. Michael Collins. I did mention like that they go through part of the Easter uprising. But anyways, this is not a review about that. It's about <laughs> Sergeant Stubby. And the question of what did we know about Sergeant Stubby before this movie? I'm free to admit that the answer yeah. was nothing. Not, I think we kind of, yeah, we established nope. that nothing. <laughs> Although, I knew, I knew oh, Stubby oh. was a dog. Yeah. Oh, so. okay. Uh, <laughs> apparently, <laughs> I have seen him before. Oh, yeah. They and, did show a picture and, of, of the dog at Trivia. We'll, we'll, so. we'll get to it at the end. We start with him in the battlefield, and he's he's in the trenches, and he's running around, and he finds an injured soldier, and... All these soldiers are like admiring. It's like, good boy, Stubby. Good dog. I wanted to comment briefly about the animation. Okay. So the, I think the animation on the whole looks good, but it reminded me a lot of Star Wars Rebels. I can see that. I can see that. That same sort of, it's more so smoothed out sort of styling. Yeah. And it's Star Wars Rebels combined with video game cutscenes, where there's like very minimal <laughs> background. The characters, they, they move very stiffly. Hmm. It's not really a criticism; it's more just an observation. Yeah, I didn't think I was a, I, didn't, I wasn't distracted by it necessarily. I mean, I was mostly distracted by the cuteness of Stubby. It's a good thing to be distracted by. <laughs> yeah, five seconds in, five seconds in to the movie, mm -hmm. adorableness already on the screen. I was stoked. Mm -hmm. I was so five seconds in, cute dog runs across the screen, screen, mm -hmm. and I, I was about it. Hungry. Huh. He's looking around. <laughs> so we flash back to six months earlier in New Haven, Connecticut. Um, Zach, aren't you from Connecticut? That's right. And you too, Sarah? I am. Ah. 
And I have, have been, been to New Haven. I was going to say, I've never been to New Haven. <laughs> so I don't know if that seems accurate-ish. It's not. Well, you okay. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say also that on a typical New Haven day, would we see a military barracks Fair like enough. in the middle of a park? To a church or something. I was wondering if that was some square that they had. I think it's the Yale square. University campus. Oh, okay. I mean, that's, I don't know whether I knew that watching the movie or just looked it up later, but either way, it makes sense. But New Haven nowadays, I've, my understanding is it's very sketchy. Oh, really? Interesting. Yeah. So yeah, if you're going to go there on your honeymoon, you might want to look out. My, my main knowledge of New Haven is that they use it to film, uh, was it Indiana Jones and the Christ- Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Again, back to that Indiana Jones thing. <laughs> Did I already tell you that when I lived in Connecticut, they were filming it and they were looking for extras in New Haven? And you didn't but, do it? Be, yeah, because I had a job and because it was like an hour's drive away every day. Jobs, always getting in the way of fun things. Of my fame and fortune. So <laughs> Stubby is earning a living or eking out a living on the mean streets of mm-hmm. New Haven. And it's like an American tale. Mm-hmm. So he's like, he sees some... F- a butcher shop window, cutting up the meat. Of course, you get the the cute dog guys looking up. He runs into this parade of soldiers, and he sees them marching. So one of the soldiers, like, sees Stubby and throws him a cookie, which causes Stubby to follow him all the way to the barracks. Marching behind. The... Very cutely marching behind, mm-hmm. yeah. Behind the group of soldiers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Then we get a history lesson with a different sort of animation explaining about how World War I gets started and calling American soldiers doughboys. And I, I wanted to know why they were called that. So I looked it up, and the answer oh, is good. nobody knows. What? <laughs> really? What? That's so disappointing. I also had that question, yeah. <laughs> well, I also hadn't heard of them being called the doughboys before, and I assume the connotation was different at the time than what it is now. If people called soldiers doughboys now, I think that would be rather offensive. But at the time, I'm sure that wasn't the yeah. case. But yeah, I hadn't heard that before. I'm shocked that no one knows why. Well, it's not. There's. it's one of those things where there's like six or seven different theories. Uh, Okay. Do you have some of them? Not off the top of my head. I didn't write them down. First of all, the term doughboy is only American soldiers. It's not soldiers right, in general. Right. And they go back, it, the term goes back to like the Spanish-American War where they would like be making dough, where some people think that they like earned a lot of dough compared to British soldiers. Interesting. And things like that. All right. All right. Yeah. So yeah, we get an explanation of World War One. They use the Uncle Sam poster, which in my mind is so synonymous with World War Two. that I was like, wait. Is this right? But apparently it was actually used in World War One as well. I just uh, looked up Doughboy again, and another another theory is that because they were covered in dust and clay marching through the fields, that they kind of looked like they were covered in dough. So another another possibility. Right. So yeah. the theory of how, per the movie, of how yeah. Sergeant Stubby came to be Sergeant Stubby is that he was a stray. He basically fell in love with a human soldier followed him uh-huh. around like a puppy. Uh-huh. And then the when the human later goes off to war, the dog then sneaks onto the train and then sneaks onto the ship and you know learns to salute and, and do all that but stuff. But not before participating in all of the training exercise and yes. oh yeah. I could watch <laughs> him train, drill, eat food all day. But mm-hmm. what I want to know is I do not think that that is the true story of Sergeant Stubby. There is no, no way that a, that that is how that happened. The army would wow. never, the army wow. would never be like, hey check. dog. <laughs> wow. We'll get into it for our spy back for spy fiction. Separate section. Right. Yeah. Separate section. So Stubby infiltrates the camp. and there's one point where all the soldiers are standing at attention and Stubby like slide tackles one of them and like knocks him over. Mm -hmm. But then he meets finally the nice soldier from before, Robert Conroy. They take Stubby to meet in a a very blatant stereotype of an Italian chef named Biscuit. Uh And there's a brief thing that I like where while they're talking about him, Stubby is like, he has his nose like in the cup Mm -hmm. and it's like... (laughs) And then while they're talking, he like pokes his head back up and is ready for more. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he runs with them. There's a part where they go shooting and he's like the Duck Hunt dog from the old <laughs> Nintendo game Duck Hunt. He goes and gets the target, brings it back. I think we skipped over one of the ways that he actually 
gets to stay, I think it's a sergeant finds him, is mm. that he sees the sergeant and he salutes the sergeant. And it's yep. adorable. And that's a key part of the legend. Through the training, we find out apparently Stubby is not afraid of gunfire, which is, is impressive. Mm-hmm. Did you mention the, uh, the terrifying gas chamber? We'll get to it. <laughs> yeah, I have that a little bit later. Yeah. He's good at drills, and there's a one point where the sergeant even says, like, you all, sh- you, you know, you all sh- could learn something from him as so Stubby is licking himself. Yep. <laughs> and everybody laughs. Mm-hmm. So they meet the colonel, and Stubby does the salute to the colonel. Mm-hmm. And then there's the part where they sing the song over there. Oh, uh, yeah. Which I did not uh, know if, the actual lyrics to that song. Well, I recently finished Mad Men, and there's a part where Don Draper goes to, like, a American Legion, uh-huh. like, where all these vets are, and they sing it. Okay. I heard so that it, stood for, my the, memory. for the first time in some, like, ghost story about, I want to say it was, like, Sweet Valley Twins or something, but it might not have been that, but some some, some book, something like that, where they there was a ghost from World War One that always came and sang, sang that song, so... <laughs> I guess it's been around for a while, yeah. Over multiple wars. And the same time as they're doing all this training during the day, uh, Conroy's staying up late to train him at night to get sure that he actually knows how to do things. And then we get to the scene that you were talking about earlier, Sarah, the uh, gas mask scene. So I think it's a sergeant or the colonel, I don't remember who, was handing out all the gas masks to the soldiers. Stubby's afraid of the gas mask, doesn't like the way it looks, looks like a muzzle to him. Mm-hmm. I agree. They look horrifying. Mm-hmm. And so the soldiers get brought into this, this shack and they get gassed with tear gas. And they specifically call out it's tear gas, not mustard gas. Do they still do that today? They do. Actually, I was yeah. going to bring up one of our friends, uh, Deshaun, who was in the Navy, told a story about pretty much this. Although I think when he said it, they didn't have masks. They just went in there and they got the tear gas. So well, they, they know what it felt like. That They did that, too. I don't know. I, I think it was the same thing, that they had a gas mask and they had to take it off. I'm not, uh, that's right, yeah. I'm not uh, certain, but, yeah, same idea. So they would know what it felt like, so they would know how to react better if it happened on the field. But yeah, so when they all run out of the gas place, some gas gets out and Stubby gets a little bit of gas. I'm like, oh, no, Stubby! Yeah, he okay. cries as well when he sniffs it. I, yeah. I started to take notes, and I took very few notes, but the one thing that I did mention was after the gas scene, they had a, a like unnecessary scene of just Stubby chasing a ball. And mm-hmm. that, was, like, that was the scene. And I thought, oh, the filmmakers know you just saw something horrific. Now here's something cute. <laughs> just mm. have, have a cute thing as a transition, because that was yeah. horrifying to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was my one note. It's like um, a James Bond movie where they have to break up the action with like people talking. It's a formula. I think around this time is when he actually finally gets a name because before he didn't have a name, mm-hmm. he was just the dog. Mm-hmm. So he he gets his name for his little tail, which is cute. Yep. I hope well, that part's real. Spoiler <laughs> alert: uh, Yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is real. And then we meet Schroeder, not the Peanuts character, <laughs> one of the other soldiers who's German American. So they, they're like, why are you going to fight? And he says, so I'm not a draft dodger, which of course makes total sense. I think I may have mentioned this before, but around this period, the early 20th century, there were more Americans who spoke German than Americans who spoke English. Really? Yeah, but don't quote me on that. It might just be like in the Northeast or something like that. Uh, the point is, there were a lot, of, um, a lot of immigrants, including German immigrants. So it makes sense. Conroy has two friends. So we have Schroeder and we have Olsen, who's this redheaded guy. Yep. And so they're like, yeah, his best friends in the uh, unit. You know they're his best friends because they're the only characters who have hair. Really? I did not notice this. If you, yeah, if you look at the training camp, everyone else has no hair except for the three main characters who have, who have hair. That's hilarious. I, I did not catch that. You mean like when they're standing, when everyone's standing in line? So you can see underneath their, their like army hats, it's the technical term, army hats. Underneath <laughs> them, you can see the three characters that have hair and everybody else is just like generic white guy. Just like in Star Wars Rebels. 
right? Where the bad, where the, all the good guys have like a thing on their on their over their eyes. That's so they true. Can be yeah. Interchangeable. The, mm-hmm, yeah. Anyway, so we get a surprise, or not maybe not a surprise inspection, but an inspection from the colonel, mm-hmm. and we find out the division's going to ship out on Monday, but Stubby can't go with them. Like the sergeant even says. Uh, well, I hope you're here to stay and, you know, encourage the next, the next bunch of soldiers, Stubby. Conroy is packing up his bag, and he's got to say goodbye to Stubby. He gives him a goodbye present. He gets a collar, which, you know, Stubby doesn't like at first, and then he shows, a bit, shows it to him in the mirror, and he's beaming with pride over his collar. <laughs> what a self-actualized dog. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then we also get a pun with dog tags here. <laughs> sure you get him some... Wait, no, that's not till later. That's, that's later. That's later. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. But it does happen. <laughs> that was pretty good. But I, that whole section, I got like a, a big Mulan vibe from because it was mm. very much like these, you know, trainees can't figure out anything getting up to speed and now they have to go into the danger zone and prove themselves. Mm-hmm. So. We find out that uh, Stubby is going to stay with the cook whose name I do not Let's remember. Get. Biscuit, thank you. Um, and Conro- and so, you know, we have a scene with him tying up, you know, putting a leash on Stubby and then, you know, giving the leash to Biscuit and saying, you know, you, you know we, since you're here with Biscuit, you'll always get the best food. There you and go. And ties him to a, you know, table leg and Conroy leaves and it's very sad. And then Stubby, of course, very determined dog, decides, no, I don't want to stay here. I want to go with Conroy. He follows them to the train station, chases the train, and jumps on the train. Pretty good jump. Yeah. I was very impressed. This is like from every Western movie, <laughs> action movie, etc. Mm-hmm. He hides on the train. They get to the port. He hides in a cargo box, infiltrates the a ship. Box full of potatoes. Yes. Sarah, you wanted spy stuff? Right here. This yeah. is your spy stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and so the ship that no they're point. on apparently is the USS Minnesota. Mm-hmm. I didn't look up to see if this was a if what class of ship this would have been in World War One. Right. Or if this was actually the ship they went on. I did not. I don't know about that. But so he starts looking around the ship. Here we go. More spy action. He's being really <laughs> sneaky for a dog. <laughs> yep. Like Zero percent chance that that's how this happened. <laughs> Uh-huh. Stubby did classic dog thing of just like <laughs> and, and sniffing him out. This is a podcast, so you probably didn't hear that. I sniffed adorably <laughs> like a dog. <laughs> Very nice. And he sniffed yeah. all the shoes. Yeah. For the scent of <laughs> yeah. His owner. And found him <laughs> based on his shoes. <laughs> yep. Finds Conroy. He's like, Conroy is very surprised. Like, what are you doing here? We're going to have to hide you. And so they hide him in a backpack. <laughs> Where are they taking him? Was that clear? Somewhere down. No, probably a better hiding spot. Because <laughs> they probably don't want other soldiers to know he's there either. That's fair. That's fair. So, but of course, they get caught when they run into uh, the colonel and what seems like a three-star general? Three-star, yeah. Yeah, well, that, that's what I noticed on the epaulets. So it knows three stars. So I assume three-star general. When he gets caught, Stubby salutes the general. And of course, that mm-hmm. melts his heart and says, all right, you can stay. Let's get him some dog tags. And this is where we get the dog tag puns. Sure, you get him some dog tags. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we get another like narration with animation as they move to the front lines. Did you recognize that voice? I looked it up on IMDb. I didn't recognize it. Uh, yeah, no, she's... So it's Helena Bonham Carter. So the narration is uh, Conroy's sister who is played by Helena Bonham Carter, who's with an American accent, so completely unrecognizable voice. Yeah, I saw her name show up in the credits, and I couldn't figure out who she was. (laughs) (laughs) I thought maybe she was one of the two women that spoke for 30 seconds. French accent. Not a lot of female (laughs) characters here, that's true. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so they get to France. Uh, Their spot is the... Carolyn, can you pronounce this? The... 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 Thank you. (laughs) I wasn't sure which word I was pronouncing. Yeah, Shimon Dedon. So Stubby puts himself to work. He's catching mice. When they get hit by an artillery barrage, he digs out a soldier who is buried in the earth. And he gets a glimpse of no man's land between the the trenches. Mm -hmm. The Germans greet them with a sign that says, Welcome, Yankee Division, which I'm sure was very unsettling, but apparently... How did they know the name of their division? 
You're spy just referring stuff. to them as Yankees. Yeah, spy stuff. There you go. <laughs> and then they meet a racist French chef. What is it with chefs in this movie? Who's giving Schroeder a hard time for being the? He uses a term that I've never heard before. I've also never all heard of this. these World War II movies that I've seen. Yeah. To which I think it's Olsen says, "You sound like a moron, Froggy." Which oh. I'm like the whole point is that you know racism is bad. Don't be racist back to him. <laughs> yeah. But then we meet mm. Baptiste Gaston, or Gaston Baptiste. Gaston Baptiste. Uh, okay. I love Gaston. He was <laughs> the coolest human. Is it he just because he's good. named Gaston? <laughs> I mean, obviously, that's a great name. But he had a personality, unlike, quite frankly, most <laughs> of the other humans. Gerard Depardieu. Yes. Yep. Quintessential French actor in American movies. It's and, usually him or Jean Reno. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's funny you say that, Sarah, because when I saw him and I heard, wow, he's being a French stereotype with the cheese and the wine, and Carolyn correctly told me. I was like, well, I mean, they do like their cheese, and they do like their wine. <laughs> so. Uh-huh, so it's okay. <laughs> not, not that far off. <laughs> I mean, but he had the that pipe that he held on to for sentimental reasons. He had his family in his house. Yeah. Um, granted, Having like minor, having a minor backstory with minor character traits shouldn't make you the most human like human. Uh, but really, <laughs> we're all in it for the dog. Let's be yeah, real. Yeah, we're in yeah. it for Debbie. I mean, yeah. Do you remember any of the human characters from the Beethoven movies, the Wishbone series, no. other movies that have dogs as the main character? I know I don't. They are, they are peripheral at best. Airbud, I don't remember any of the character <laughs> characters as other than the, the dog. little girl from um what was the first one you just said? Oh, from Beethoven, yeah, the, the little girl. I remember her, but that's it. Do you I remember, remember her name? No. Yeah, any of the no. any of the humans no. from Homeward Bound and Incredible Journey? There, there were no humans. <laughs> yeah, there were, you just don't remember them. Yeah. For some reason when I started watching this movie, I expected Stubby to talk. And say <laughs> So Apparently, oh, that would have been great. They they considered it. They, they considered anthropomorphizing him, or at least he would like think, and then the thoughts would be like voiceover, like Garfield. <laughs> Even though he's a dog and obviously doesn't talk, it's so weird watching an animated <laughs> movie where the animal has no dialogue at all. And very expressive face ex- facial expressions. Though. In an article from Variety, apparently, look, the, the director and screenwriter said they avoided the temptation to make him anthropomorphic but he can yeah so other than being able to salute they kept him an actual dog so the reason we meet gaston baptiste is because they're going to be working he is going to be working with conroy and they're going to be spies so they're going to be doing surveillance on the the enemy soldiers schroeder and olsen start complaining like oh how come he gets to go with them and he's like all right you two come too so they travel using horses which I thought was interesting. Shows, shows the time mm-hmm. period. And Stubby saves them by smelling German soldiers before they actually see them. <laughs> they see some artillery, which is their job, and then they see they're going to be firing gas. So Conroy says, Stubby, go back and warn them, like gets an episode of Lassie. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I actually, I thought that there was going to be a really long back and forth where the dog who quite frankly, shouldn't know based on that direction, go warn them of gas. Like that isn't a, that isn't something that Stubby was trained to do. So, but even still, do we I know? thought there was going to be a really long scene back and forth between Stubby trying to relay this, this fact about the gas and, oh no, he didn't take a mask. How is he going to relay that? No, it took 10 seconds to <laughs> Stubby gets the masks. And like, oh my God, they're going to gas us. Oh, okay. I thought there was going to be some conflict there. <laughs> I mean, he's been training oh. with them for, like, how long? So, presumably, yeah. He could smell the gas before anybody else because of his encounter at the training camp. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> actually, yes. But, but the question more is, is anyone, because the dog whisperer is not there. Mm-hmm. So is he going to be able to t- tell everyone else what is going on? I mean, he is the mascot, so everyone knows to pay attention to him or knows who he is. It's not like it's a random dog. He's the mascot of the company. And so mm-hmm. when he comes up and then he grabs, you know, the gas mask of some of one of the other soldiers there, 
so they realize, wait, he's trying to tell us something. He village. goes over to the village. Right. And just barks until she gets like, a <laughs> gap in the sky. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess she got the message, too. Yeah, yeah, she, yeah he wasn't the message. That is less believable. Fair enough. <laughs> it's like this huge green cloud that just wafts through the town. That in like under cloud two seconds. was horrifying. Yeah. Like for a kid's movie, they, I mean, World War One, obviously very horrifying. And I think they did a pretty good job of making it age appropriately horrifying. Like the color <laughs> of the, the gas, how the landscape was just, like, just looked like actual literal hell. And say like Gas Witch horrifying. of the West from Wizard of Oz colored or... Mm. Something yeah, like we, we kind of skipped over the part where they go through the wreckage of like a of like a bombed out town, which mm-hmm. reminded me of 1917. Yeah. Yeah. Reminded me of 1917. It was 1917. So then we were like, maybe it was the same house. Could have been. <laughs> and also there was there's a moment because I couldn't remember for a second what year the movie, what war that 1917 took place in. So I turned to Carolyn. I was like, what year did not? Never mind. I just answered my own question. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but yeah, so Conroy and Baptiste come back on their horses to find Stubby. And I like that the horses have masks, which apparently was a real thing. Yeah. But they don't have a mask for Stubby. Oh, no. What's going to happen? So they put a wet cloth over his head to make sure that he doesn't inhale any of the gas. And the gas cloud pl- passes. Seemingly really, relatively quickly. Right. Like, it seems like it would have lingered a lot longer, but you know, this is a movie. Mm-hmm. So all the villagers come out, they take off their ma- gas masks, everyone is saved, and, you know, they celebrate Stubby for warning them and saving them. Yeah, I have the ladies love Stubby. That's one of my notes. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Fair. We do. <laughs> and then back at camp, Stubby interrupts a game of bocce. Except it's not bocce. It's called pent- Pentague, played with a cachette. Punk. Pentak. 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 Thank you. Mm-hmm. But, but it is bocce, right? It looks like exactly the same game, yeah. Also, he catches a rabbit so that now they have, they're going to feast. Baptiste, again, French stereotype, knows how to cook. The reason that he can cook. But. <laughs> oh, that's that's true. Again, <laughs> I, everything was like it seemed like it was a stereotype about him, it? but no, it's actually reasonable. Forget if it was then, but he, yeah, he mentions that he used to own a restaurant. But I liked he said like a ma- magician. I'm creating magic with a simple rabbit. <laughs> that's that's true. That Monicum nice. of backstory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So then Conroy and Gaston go up to the top of the hill to watch the sunset romantically. <laughs> Talk yeah, about so their we, families. We get a heart, nice heart to heart. We find out, yeah, but, uh, Gaston has a wife and three girls. We introduce them to Stubby. They, they, we'd have them chase uh, Sanglier, which are apparently wild pigs. Which raised, is an actual oh. thing outside of Paris. There are wild pigs. It's, it's true here <laughs> as well. Mm-hmm. Is this the part where Stubby chases the fireflies? Because yeah. that was adorable. <laughs> that was great. Very cute. Conroy, we find out Conroy has a sister who's, yeah, the one who uh, Helena Bonham Carter's narrating, uh, who raised him and his two younger sisters. Gaston hasn't seen his wife in two years because he's been yeah. at war. By a long time. Because they've been at war for years and the U.S. just the f- entered... Uh, yep. In 1917, yeah. The thing is that Gaston lives in France. So mm. theoretically, it wouldn't be that hard for him to go home. But such is life. We don't know what part of France he lives in, too. Mm. Yeah. It's a large country. Yeah. You know, filled so, with wine and cheese. Mm. <laughs> Olsen and Schroeder are playing poker with, with some of the French sh- soldiers. and I guess, yeah, they wouldn't. I don't know. I don't know the origins of poker, but it does seem like it's more of an American game than a French game. And so there's a nice thing where one of the French soldiers has two kings, and I think uh, Olsen has a flush, and the French guy's like, "What is this flush? I do not understand. How is the two kings not better?" And there's my horrible French accent for the day. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't say "sacré bleu." Uh, it never gets old when French characters say that in movies. Sacré bleu. Yeah. 
<laughs> so yes, Zach, you have your bad German accent. I have a terrible French accent that we can do. I think yours is better though. <laughs> okay, so back to war. We have the scene from the beginning where Stubby races out into no man's land to mm-hmm. get a wounded soldier. Claiborne, yeah, that's the name of the soldier. Mm-hmm. They use smoke to cover their I, I like operation. That. Yeah, so so yeah, so uh once Stubby runs out, Conroy chases after him with, with Gaston. And yeah, so Stubby finds Claiborne, and as you said, Zach, they use smoke to get provide cover, and they get Claiborne, and yeah, now we're caught up to the very beginning. Another narration from uh, Helena Bonham Carter, and we get a big map of where they are in France, and they're going to, she, you know, for a Brit, she has a very American pronunciation of, of uh, see, I can't even know, figure it out, Seychpre? Okay. I didn't write it down, but didn't she say like Seabell or something like that? Or was that something different? That was something else, yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, it's spelled S-E-I-C-H-E-P-R-E-Y. Seshpre? Yeah. Yeah, that, that sounds better. So the point is they're relocating. <laughs> and the, yeah. one of the French women is back with a gift for Stubby. So that's the best part. So he gets a little vest, and then he gives her a salute. Gaston has made a mask for Stubby, which, you know, again, looks like a muzzle, so he doesn't like it. You know, this could save your life. You'll learn to like it. Mm -hmm. I was really hoping and very excited that Stubby got a mask, because earlier, you know, when the the poisonous gas came, I was was sad that Stubby did not have a mask, so I'm glad Mm -hmm. that he got one. I'm also glad that he got that cute little vest outfit just to, to match the rest of the soldiers. And mm-hmm. I thought, okay, this is definitely fictionalized. There's no way the real Stubby had that vest. It's a great <laughs> addition, but it's completely unrealistic. <laughs> Unbeknownst to me uh, uh-huh. that no, Stubby had had that same vest. Yep. Real Stubby. Yes. We go into Seychpray, and apparently it's one of the largest battles of World War One. Well, it's the largest battle that Americans fought in. Oh, is that what it was? Okay, so they don't clarify that in the film, but yeah, they just say largest mm-hmm. battle of World War One. I. I was like, what about Verdun? Verdun was like a terrible, terrible. The Somme, uh, yeah. Yeah, or the Somme, yeah. But apparently, that thanks for that clarification, Zach. Oh, you're so, welcome. And then, yeah. so, but I'm like, why does Gaston go with them? Um, <laughs> that's a good question. I think all of them go, not just. The Americans, but the French soldiers too. We just focus on the Americans because it's about Stubby and he's with the Americans. Okay. Colonel meets with Gaston and Conroy because they need them on the lines. There's going to be no more recon work. So there ends the spy stuff. Well, for now. For now. So back in the trench, Stubby sees something with his enhanced senses as a dog. And it's the Germans and they're coming in for a charge. And they're all faceless, just like in Rebels. <laughs> And Stubby helps ambush three Germans by, like, leading them through a trench, dodging bullets as he goes. He, yeah, so he, he goes, he draws their fire, and Conroy and Gaston are hiding in a different part. And how did Stubby know? Because <laughs> Gaston's like, let's go set a trap for them. And then just Stubby just runs off, like, how does he know? He's just that good. How does he know? Oh, I'm going to go and draw their fire, lead them this way so you guys can capture them. You're the man now, dog. <laughs> that is a blast from the internet past. Oh, yeah. But having done that, then they get a grenade gets thrown at them, and Stubby grabs it in his mouth and runs off with it. He saves them all. And almost gets killed doing it. And Schroeder gets hurt as well. Yeah. Conroy finds Stubby. He's not moving. He's it's so sad. I'm, I'm like, really invested in this. <laughs> Sarah, were you worried he was going to die? I wasn't in that moment. I think I was uh, honestly at that point in the film trying to figure out a little bit what was going on because they kept saying that Schroeder was hurt, but he looked Uh. completely fine. There was zero blood, no broken anything. He looked completely fine. And same with Stubby. So my brain power was spent entirely trying to dissect that. I should have, however, realized it is a children's film and they're yeah. not going to show anything. But that is honestly where my mind was in that moment. They even have the doctor or the doctor say, this is a really bad wound. I'm like, look at it. Where's, where's the wound on Stubby? I don't see anything. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's a bit of a yeah. problem. What's his name? Conroy is like pleading with the doctors. Like, please just do whatever you can. Like, okay, just put him on the ambulance. He gets put on with Schroeder. Do whatever you can for the, like, 
this person is not a vet, uh, <laughs> and <laughs> this person is a They're human also doctor. Humans who are wounded instantly. It took no convincing. <laughs> no, do whatever you can for stubby, and instantly, okay. <laughs> Which I'm fine with because again, it's all about the dog. About the dog. It yep. is about the dog. Yeah. But I also like in that same scene, the surgeon says, that's a bad wound. And he's a dog. (laughs) dog. I missed that. I was focused on the bad wound. He's like, there's no wound there. It's like, yeah, we know he's a dog, dude. I wasn't the only one who was distracted. Uh, True. I enjoyed how they called themselves the three musketeers. So that when the the dog left, they're like, come back soon, little dog. We need our third musketeer. (laughs) That's really cute. And yes, yeah, so it's uh, raining in Shea and the Germans attack again, and they're driven out. So there's another narration with like animation of a map. Mm-hmm. And they say that the only thing between the Germans and Paris is their division or their unit. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Conroy is very gung-ho American. And we, I, I want to do something. We need to fight. And yes, I'm selling it. No, you, need, you need to rest first before you can fight. And yeah, so we get to this part where... Gaston is, has to return to his regiment as he, you know, they have a nice goodbye and there's Gaston singing some French song that I didn't recognize. Me neither. Mm-mm. As he's leaving, but yeah. And so now the plan is they have to retake Seychelles. We get basically without any act showing any actual fighting, we get, uh, you know, a narration that there's fierce fighting. So it's been four weeks since Stubby gets hit. Conroy is writing to his sister, telling him about all the things going on. And we go to the hospital, where we find that Schroeder's recovering with Stubby. And Stubby has this little bandage on his leg. Yep. And then uh, Stubby escapes the hospital without being formally discharged. (laughs) It's going to cause a lot of bureaucratic problems. And so he runs out to the battlefield, and he Mm -hmm. finds some Germans cooking sausages. (laughs) Those sausages look delicious. Mm -hmm. I was wondering, are those bratwurst? What are they? Now I'm like hungry for like sausage. But meanwhile, Conroy's sick with the Spanish flu. So once he said he was sick, and I was, oh no, this is not, this is about that time. Oh no, he has Spanish flu. Which, of course, as we're recording, we're going through 100 years later, something sound, seems like we should have learned about this. Yeah, but very not, poignant, yeah. a pandemic. Yes. Um, even though Stubby was made a couple of years ago, I feel like the reference to the Spanish flu mm-hmm. uh, feels very of the now. Yeah. Yep. Like everywhere we go, there's some media that's talking about pandemics, you know, fictional or real, mm-hmm. just following us around. I'm like, I didn't think this we could can't happen. even watch a cute story about a dog without <laughs> there being a pandemic. Now it's everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Indeed, well said. <laughs> but yeah, so he Stubby steals the sausages from the Germans, and he's running trying to find Conroy. He's like running so hard and he's so tired and he falls over from exhaustion. Since he wasn't formally discharged, he's still a little injured. Mm-hmm. But then they do manage to find each other just in time for a furlough to Paris. Yeah, I like this part. Oh, I also like how Schroeder gets out of the hospital just in time for a vacation. Nice, convenient. Mm-hmm. So they take the train to Paris. Schroeder and Olsen go to meet some French women. Conroy and Stubby, if you know, get themselves set up in the in their hotel room, take a nice bath, which makes you wonder, all right, when's the last time that Stubby had a bath? He probably needs a bath. Probably in the hospital. It's more oh, like true. Conroy who needs a bath. Uh, fair enough. <laughs> and then they also say the French love Americans. You can tell this was a long time ago. <laughs> well, what they specifically say is that apparently in the beginning, Fr- the French were suspicious of Americans, but by 1918, they loved them. Just that they were appreciative that they were finally helping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they could they could use the help. Yep. Uh, so they go on a sightseeing tour and we get uh, various parts, various spots of Paris. Thankfully, they didn't just see the Eiffel Tower and call it a day. They actually went to a bunch of different places. And as Carolyn and I went to Paris, among other places, on our honeymoon. We were like, all right, I recognize all these places. We were even trying to pinpoint down uh, which metro stop that was that they come out of. Also yeah. in this scene, they have what the subtitles call lively music, which I also <laughs> like. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah so the they... subtitles were great, uh, especially <laughs> for the music. I think there was patriotic music at one mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Um, Ominous music was a very common <laughs> one. <laughs> well, yeah, so they go to the Arc de Triomphe, Sacré-Cœur, Eiffel Tower, of course. Notre Dame. Notre Dame. The Moulin Rouge. And then this bridge, the last one they go to, we're like, 
I don't recognize that. Where is that? So Canal St. Martin Bridge. Did you guys notice when they went to the Moulin Rouge, Conroy was kind of looking at it in the photo, like giving <laughs> it the side eye? I did notice I that. I did not <laughs> notice that. Wow. <laughs> My dad's a story where his parents took him there when he was way too young. He was like oh. 12. <laughs> come to a show there? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Explains a lot, doesn't it? No, I don't. <laughs> we cut to fall 1918. They're back on the line. The war and... is winding down. Mm-hmm. But Stubby has his most heroic moment right here. He sniffs Wait, out this is his most heroic moment? I mean, Maybe for the not... movie, yes. This is but, the... Like, I for the movie, say? this is his most heroic moment. But mm, I think saving the lives of all the people that he saved the lives of before is arguably more heroic, but I'll let you describe what the- well, what Maybe the, more famous. If, yeah, maybe more that? famous. So he smells a German, he finds one German soldier in a trench and attacks him. The soldier pulls a knife, but Stubby bites him in the hand and his friends run over and capture the German. So apparently his, this was a German spy. Again, hey, more spy stuff. So I wanted to talk about this though, is I don't understand right. why if he's in a uniform uh-huh. and he's looking, how was that being a spy versus being a scout? Eh, I mean, does anyone have any thing, insight? I don't know. No, same thing with uh, Conroy and what's his name, Gaston. They were, yeah, they were recon. They're they're being spies, but yeah, that's it's the same thing. It's not the I same thing, for, though. Well, okay, but for a kids <laughs> movie, for a kids movie, if you they had to boil it down. Mm-hmm. They simplify it, yeah. Yeah, but in a lot of the the story of Sergeant Stubby websites I read for Spy Fact versus Fiction, they described uh-huh. the German as a spy as well. They needed to make him recognizable as a German and all that for the kid audience to recognize. So unless you're going to put him in a tuxedo, there's no recognizable uniform for a spy that the kids will automatically get, oh, this is a spy. Like a visual clue, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so they, they take the German's Iron Cross, and Stubby gets his promotion to sergeant and gets the stripes that goes with it. They have this whole cute ceremony for Stubby. Well, also Conroy. Conroy gets a promotion. He gets mm-hmm. promoted to corporal, but there's this whole ceremony, so he gets yeah he gets his stripes. Now, apparently, he outranks Conroy, because... Stubby does, yeah. Yeah. Also, nicely that Gaston is there, too. To see the promotion ceremony. Did they actually do that? Just take a medal off an enemy soldier and just take it <laughs> and use it as their own, I guess? I thought we that was really they weird. use it as their own? No. Yeah. Because that's what they did. They took the Iron Cross off the, the German soldier and was like, here, this is yours now, Stubby. It's oh, more of a rank of his. It's more of like a trophy. Uh, yeah, that's right. Because okay. I was like, I don't remember them putting the Iron Cross on Stubby's like vest. I mean, I, that, I don't it, remember if they did. You don't see it on his vest, but you do see his like sergeant stripes. Stubby also gets his picture in the Hartford Current, the hometown Connecticut newspaper, <laughs> which hopefully is still alive at the time that this drops because <laughs> it's really on its last legs. <laughs> and then the next scene, Stubby meets George S. Patton, <laughs> who is a tank commander. I want to <laughs> this for a little bit to say that there's a, making a final push to the Hindenburg lines. There's a line that says, you know, Stubby meets a new type of war animal. I was like, are they referring to Patton or the tank? If you're going to put Patton in a movie, at least try to do an impression of George C. Scott, okay? <laughs> That's what the people want. Uh, I also this- like how he introduced himself as, hello, I'm Patton. I think that was it. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. And Stubby gets to ride in front of one of the, on top of one of the tanks, which was great. Mm-hmm. You mentioned it- that Stubby did another salute earlier after he got his... Um, oh, award, we did, uh, because we that seems like re- relevant information. Well, he does a lot of saluting. Here's a drinking game idea. Watch this movie and take a shot every time he salutes. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, You're welcome. That's for free. <laughs> so they do this combined arms attack with the tanks and the soldiers and the guns right as the war is over, like right when it's about to end. And again, so this gave me flashbacks to Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, because there's a scene there where they're still attacking, even though it, Armistice doesn't take place and for 11, until 11 a.m., but they know that they have to keep fighting up until the last moment. Also, I forgot to mention it, but in the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, Indy also has like a French sidekick. Gaston reminded me of him. Actually, I think his name is Remy. Nah, well, which is interesting because usually those kinds of scenes are presented as like a tragedy. 
mm-hmm. where it's like, oh my God, we're fighting for no reason. Isn't it so sad? But in this movie, nobody important gets killed. So it's all good. I could not right. believe that they kept fighting after they decided the war was over. I also thought it was hilarious. They said that the war was going to be over at whatever it was, 11 a.m. the next day. Like yep, how, yep. how bureaucratic is uh-huh. that? And true. Well, um, it actually makes sense, though. Oh, <laughs> because in the day of communication, say, does it? <laughs> yes, it does. Okay, wait, wait. So look. So when <laughs> in, in days before cell phones and radio, you can't just send an instantaneous communication to everybody on both sides of the line all at the same time, right? I guess. So if you say the war is over now, you're going to have some units who don't know that. But so, that is a very long time yeah. to to wait. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can, I can understand. So, and there's a difference between okay, it's over at that point, but I I can understand that, but I don't understand making them fight up until the last minute. What what difference is that going to make? And I guess yeah, the, I, I have no defense that. of that. Yeah, I'm saying even if, especially if it's an active attack, like yeah, just sit in your trench, and if you get attacked, then I guess defend yourself. But to have an active attack seems silly. Yeah, the, the person I was watching the movie with, um, right after they called the end of the war, he went, like, what a jerk move to actively attack right at the end mm-hmm. of the war. No one would do that because that is such a jerk move. Cue two seconds later, uh, the two sides are going at it, and we are both, mm-hmm. what was happening? We just, just, who would do this? Why would you do this? Why would you keep fighting? What a jerk move. What jerk would make your people continue to fight? And then again, instantly they addressed it in the movie that they they made them do that. But Yeah. <sighs> actually, but before that last push, we actually have a little character moment where we find out apparently like Olsen decides he wants to settle down, have a wife. Conroy wants to introduce Stubby to his family. So we had that little character moment, which I liked because it's, you know, the, the calm before the storm moment, even though it was really short. It was like a minute. It was a war movie staple. You got to have it. But so through that last big charge, we have a scene where Gaston is cornered by two soldiers. And I was like, oh, God, they're going to kill the French guy, aren't they? I was like, no, they they wouldn't do that. This is a kid's movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think we actually see anyone die. So. No. Gaston gets Saved by Conroy and Stubby, and then we get the yeah the ceasefire. Everything stops, yeah. and then we see what's his name Schroeder calling out for for Olsen. We don't see a body, we don't see anything, but we see actually even before this we see Stubby just going around and he finds his helmet. And it looked I thought it was a really cute moment. I thought it was gonna be like mm-hmm. oh he's gonna be wearing this helmet and it's cute and uh uh-uh. I thought the same thing. I thought oh put on the hat. <laughs> He brings, the, he brings the helmet over to Schroeder. And Schroeder, you know, moving it around in his hands, and he sees there's a bullet, not a bullet hole, but an indentation in it. Because they can't show blood, right. they can't show wounds or anything. They can't even show the bullet hole. They show the indentation, and the, you're supposed to get from that that Schroeder, or not Schroeder, Olsen has died. And it's a sad... I was like, oh my god, they actually did it. They actually killed... Like, yes, of course, it's World War One. Someone has to die. It's a war movie even though it's a yep. kid's movie. Mm-hmm. And they did it right after, as you said, uh, Olsen just got really... He got a moment. For? He, he character, yeah. He um, so he was, right after, he was like, I'm going to have a great life and find a wife and settle down. That should have been my first I'm have hit a great once he yeah. said that. Yeah. He said everything great's going to retire. But yeah, so there's that sad God, moment. Kids movie, for I sure. thought that was going to be, I was going to be yeah, like, I'm going to end moment. it there. But thankfully, no. No, they so ended they on a hilarious scene. That actually made me laugh out loud. Schroeder and Conroy are stubby, are heading back home. And Gaston says goodbye to them. And they get a boat back to the U.S. And as they get back, disembarking de-boating. from... De-boating. There you go. <laughs> de-boating. And they put stubby on top of the hood of one of the cars. And this random photographer is like, stubby, stubby, look over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everyone was shouting Stubby's name. That's the part that I loved about it. Everyone was, Stubby! We uh, love you, as Stubby. Though, as though the entire country is following. I mean, they could have been. Um, I mean, uh, they I were. That was, well, at least, that was at least in the Connecticut area. Yeah, his picture were. was in the Hartford car. And come on. That's like Insta-fam. <laughs> Insta-fam. And yeah. when Stubby was riding on the front of the car, I thought, okay, this is adorable, but there is no way this happened in real life. 
Once again, I was proven wrong. Cut to 10 seconds later, we see a picture of real life Stubby on the front of the car in that adorable vest. Mm-hmm. So, and shows, so we find out that Stubby yeah. had been in 17 battles and four campaigns. He had 18 months in service and he was the most decorated dog in US history. And that is the movie. Go Stubby. Yeah. The Americans and the French had another moment where they said, you know, Viva la France, Viva la Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I thought that was a nice moment Mm -hmm. of unity. That's nice. (laughs) Yeah, so shall we get into our spy fact versus spy fiction? Sure. So in order to bring us some info, I looked at The Price of Freedom, Americans at War from the Smithsonian website. Dogs at War, Military Canine Heroes by Connie Goldsmith, Stripes.com, and Wikipedia. And then I've also read some interviews by some of the people involved with the film. And then I actually went to the Sergeant Stubby website. Yes, there's a website. (laughs) Where you can join the Stubby fan club. What are we waiting for? Isn't there going to be like a Stubby animated series? I think I saw that on IMDb. That doesn't seem necessary. I'm not going to lie. Well, what more story could there be? <laughs> what well, else could there be? Well, well, let's get into it. Go ahead, Zach. <laughs> okay, so Stubby is described as a Boston Terrier or an American Bull Terrier mutt. Conroy did meet him on the Yale University campus where the training took place, but the thing with the parade was not true. Uh, Conroy was the one who brought him on the ship. He smuggled Stubby in under his overcoat when they arrived. But then when they disembarked, that's when they met the sergeant or what what they described as a commanding officer. Stubby saluted him and charmed him. But that was in France, not the United States. Uh, Wait, Stubby uh, did a real salute? Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, there's there's a statue of him in uh, Connecticut, I think, with his salute. Yeah. I I was searching for a photo of him actually saluting. I could not find one, but he did it. This is actually probably one of the more accurate movies that we've seen overall. He caught a German soldier. He barked to warn people as a German ran. Stubby bit him on the legs and then like grabbed him in like the seat of his pants. He didn't pull a knife on Stubby, but he did hold him there. Stubby did get gassed. He needed medical attention for that. Made him sensitive to gas afterwards. So he would smell the gas and then bark. So this the scene where he, they're like, go, go warn them. That's not true. Uh, oh, yeah, also the scene with the grenade where he picks it up and runs away with it. It's sort of true. He was wounded in a grenade attack or maybe from artillery. Mm-hmm. You know, the sources kind of disagree, but he did go to a field hospital and then to a Red Cross recovery hospital for surgery. After returning home, according to Wikipedia, he marched in and usually led parades across the country <laughs> and met Presidents Wilson, Coolidge, and Harding. He died in his sleep in March 1926, and after his death... His skin was preserved and mounted on a plaster cast, and the taxidermied stubby was presented to the Smithsonian by Conroy in 1956. Yeah, so that's why I said I've seen stubby, because I've actually seen that. I, mm. I know I have a photo, but I cannot find it. This is around the time, I think, when I moved to D.C. for the first time, and mm-hmm. also at the same time when I really started watching, like, like re-watching the Indiana Jones Chronicles, so I was like, into World War One stuff. So I was like, oh, they have an exhibit. Like, their World War Two stuff in the Smithsonian, huge. World War One exhibit, very small. Yeah. So I have photos of it, and I'm like, oh, hey, there's a dog here. That's random. But that was stubby. It's in the Price of Freedom section. Mm-hmm. Yes. At the American History Museum. Okay. So, we'll so Gaston was not a real person, uh, and neither was Schroeder or Olson, as far as I can tell. There was a Gaston Jean-Baptiste, but he lived from 1608 to 1660. Okay. George Patton was the commander of the U.S. 1st Provisional Tank Brigade, but there's no indication that he ever met Stubby. Yeah, from what I read, the uh, directors were like, they were in the same place. Did they meet? Maybe. We're not sure. Mm. And then the last thing, the movie claims Stubby was the most decorated dog in U.S. military history. That's under dispute. He yeah. was definitely the most decorated of World War One. The most decorated military dog of World War Two was named Chips, who won a silver star and the Purple Heart. Impressive. Yes. Purple and then, Heart. Yeah, that's for he single-handedly charged a pillbox and captured all four Italian soldiers inside. 
<laughs> wow. It sounds ridiculous, but if you want to know anything about Italy's military performance in World War II, surrendering <laughs> to a dog isn't really that surprising. <laughs> so apparently, the name of the fa- fan club is the Stubby Squad. That's so great. <laughs> but yeah, so are they, they called have, Stubbers? They... Are the fan, what are the fans called? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that they have. They well, will be now. Be. <laughs> Stubby Squaddies. As Zach said, there is a prequel animated series planned for just his life as a rough and tumble pup in Connecticut. And Classic Connecticut. <laughs> and there were planned to, this was planned to be the, the first of a trilogy of films about Stubby. The second of which would cover his life performing in, in, in vaudeville and in show business. And the third would be following him and Conroy as they fight crime during Prohibition. Zach, you didn't mention this. Mm-hmm. So after the war, he went with Conroy as he studied in uh, Georgetown. And, law school. Uh, yeah, at law school in Georgetown. And Conroy became a special agent of the Bureau of Investigation, precursor <laughs> to the FBI. So Agent Stubby. It would, be, it would be great if it ever comes out. <laughs> The whole Stubby animated universe is coming. <laughs> Get excited. So th- that's it for Spy Fact versus Fiction for me. So the one thing I do have is that, so on the Sergeant Stubby Salutes website, they have a Fact versus Fiction page, uh, which actually does cover, yes. Apparently, so it's, uh, yeah, like you said, it's under dispute whether or not he was given a rank. Hmm. At least according to this website, apparently there's not a single historical clipping from his lifetime that, he, that addressed him by rank. Again, this is just according to this website. I'm not sure where they got their facts from. I think that's, yeah, that's about it. So I have a a clarification question. So Stubby, real life Stubby, was man of the streets, a la Aladdin. That's true. Uh Yeah, he was a stray, yeah. And then how did he meet Conroy? He like wandered into camp while they were training. I'm also amazed by the fact that he was actually smuggled into a war zone because mm-hmm. I can't imagine that happening and no one finding out about it. If you know how, if a dog knows how to salute, that <laughs> down a lot of barriers. Well, I should say he wasn't smuggled into the war zone. The smuggling took place onto the ship and then off the ship. Mm. But then when they were off the ship, that's when the commanding officer mm. met him, salute, fell in love. And then you after that, we didn't to smuggle anymore. Yeah. So everything that I thought was uh, fake during the movie <laughs> ended up being true. So, you know. All right. Shall we move into our quotes? Yes. I can go first. All right. So I don't remember who said it or the context, but somebody says, I may not be the most beautiful, but I'm strong and lovable. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? My piece. It sounds like it, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think that's how we met. Uh, no, it was Gaston. That was when we first yeah. met Gaston. And that's that's when I liked him. That's what I knew. <laughs> I've got, I think, this is also from Gaston. It's the, in order to stay alive, you must feel fear. I was like, ooh, wow, that's, that's kind of deep. He's, I guess he's the most quotable guy. And my favorite quote from Stubby is, Bark. That's stupid. I'm not including that. I'm going to cut that. No, leave it in. Like my lowest moment on this. <laughs> Carolyn and Sarah, do you have any good quotes? Uh, yeah, I have one. Arr, that's also from Stubby. <laughs> <laughs> that was my lowest moment. <laughs> I got Carolyn, do you have a quote? Well, I kind of already said mine. The two that I liked were when they were cooking and they said like a magician i'm creating magic with a simple rabbit cooking on the battlefield um and i also liked come back soon little dog we need our third musketeer <laughs> ah quotes good quotes speaking mm-hmm. of the uh of the rabbit all of the animals in this movie were quite cute there was the a bird Even that showed rat. up randomly and i was gonna say yeah. the rats were surprisingly <laughs> cute and I think they came around the rabbit scene. I appreciate that he didn't actually show us Stubby killing one. Yeah. That would kind of <laughs> yeah. undermine his image a little bit. Yeah, chase him off. Okay, so we've done our spy fact versus fiction and our quotes. Now it's time for our ratings on a scale of one to 10 martinis. One being a absolutely worst spy movie you've ever seen and 10 being the greatest. How would you guys rate Sergeant Stubby, an American hero? All right, should we have our guests go first? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say... Seven. Seven okay, martinis out of five? 
of, out 10. of 10. Oh, out of 10. I would say it's good. It's, I enjoyed that it brought a lot of true history into the movie. But I also enjoyed that it told the story of a war without being gratuitous, even though that's, you know, what the whole thing was. <laughs> um, kind of, yeah, it, it, it told the story and, and showed the bad parts um, in, a, in a way that wasn't so visceral. From a storytelling perspective, is that it isn't um, typical? in that so it sort of does have a three act structure but i'm not sure that i could easily identify the antagonist there i don't think there really is one yes the germans are bad um sort of faceless people but uh it's it's more like a biography than it is mm -hmm. like a film yeah not all stories need an antagonist mm -hmm. i agree that this movie doesn't have one but that's sort of the nature of real life Ooh, Speak for yourself. <laughs> you have a who, who among us? Who among us does not have an arch nemesis? <laughs> just one. I mean, it, with war movies, the antagonist is just sort of the war itself, right? Yeah, They're trying to yeah. survive yeah. it, which I think works here too. Yeah. All right. So, with that insight, Sarah, what do you give it? Um, I'd say three out of five martinis. But since we're going on a scale of ten. I guess that translates to six out of 10. All right. Which sounds rather low, but I mean, it's not once upon a time, so. <laughs> it's go. true. It's not once care. upon a time. <laughs> Which would, you... of course, be 12 martinis. <laughs> out of 10. Out of five. Yeah. There's spies in once upon a time. <laughs> out of five. Yeah, I think <laughs> five. It's a lot of martinis. <laughs> I can go next. So I would also rate it a six out of 10. There's a lot to like. But there's also kind of a lot to dislike. I found the secondary characters to be sort of annoying. And I'd rather see more about Conroy, what he's going through. The animation was a little bit questionable. And I think they should have just stuck with what actually happened because that was exciting enough. But it wasn't, it wasn't bad. It was just slightly above average. I think that makes so, sense. The people um, also yeah. didn't add a whole lot, I don't think. Like, if you guys hadn't kept repeating Conroy's name throughout this podcast, there's no way that I would have remembered Conroy's name a week after mm. I'd seen this movie. Conroy Schroeder, none of these people. Stubby, Stubby <laughs> I would remember. But mm. even Gaston, like, I just wouldn't remember the people's names. They just were rather unremarkable. It's all about the dog, about the dog. That's true. Yeah, so I think I'm going to split the difference between, you know, your rankings of six and Carolyn's seven and do 6.5, because I'm like... <laughs> As a, as someone who likes cute animals, I was like totally in for this movie. But as a spy movie, okay, there's not, granted, there's not actually a lot of spying going on. But there's another movie which is about animals in, in war movies called Valiant, um, which was about the, the spy pigeons. But they didn't want the. <laughs> well, I mean, the pigeons that would send messages. <laughs> Just mute my mic. Just mute me. <laughs> Anyways, so it's about the pigeons that would ca do, you know, capture surveillance or something like that in World War II, and they went the opposite way, where they anthropomorphized them. They gave them characters. They and they told pretty much not a true story. Like it's true that these things happen, but they didn't happen the way they did in a film. So I really appreciate that. For the most part, they seem to have stuck to what actually happened. Maybe not in the exact times or places. But the, at least the spirit of it. I'm wondering now what this movie would be like if they had made Stubby talk or given him that, you know, the Garfield narration like you were talking about, Zach. So, but I really appreciated it mm -hmm. that they did it well. And I thought, but it's not Thanks. really that much of a spy movie. Thanks for joining us to our guests. Do you guys have anything you want to plug? <laughs> I know it's just what you do. Yeah. When people are on podcasts. It is, it is what guests yeah. do, don't they? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at whatever my Twitter handle is. So I'm at isarah2468 on Twitter. What do you tweet about? Half feminist propaganda, half cute pictures of cats. <laughs> All right. All right. That's what you're into. <laughs> Perfect. Um, all right. Well, thanks for being on the podcast, Carolyn yeah. and Sarah. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So you can find us on social media at the SpyFi Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. 
And we are the SpyFi Guys, signing off. Thank you for listening to the SpyFi Guys. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to give us a 5-star rating on iTunes. The theme song from this podcast is Mistake the Getaway by Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com. Licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Films, books, and television shows reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spotify Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.